Welcome to the 313th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome, and thank you for listening. Oh my, it's hot and humid down here in Florida. You know, last week I talked about a great run powered by mangoes. Well, this past Saturday's run, I tried to find a mango and I couldn't. And I got to tell you, the whole run was somewhat of a struggle. Not because I didn't have a mango. It was just one of those days where I just couldn't, I don't know, I was a little beat up from the week, I guess. And it was one foot in front of the other. And sometimes you have those runs. Um... If I hadn't had Michael Hubbard with me, I don't know that I would have finished. I might have turned around and said, yeah, maybe another day. But um, he was there, and we both needed a long run, so we plugged through it and felt good about it the other end. But I got to tell you, I was pretty dehydrated. Um, I'm never usually sore from my run, but I was a little had a little quad soreness, and I, I really do think that I got a little over-dehydrated from the swampy conditions we have down here. So better running this weekend. I'm going to try to hydrate a little bit better and maybe get a little bit more rest the night before. We'll see what happens. So again, training for a 50K in September, a swim run in November, CIM marathon in December, and a 50-miler in January. Or February, I can't even remember when that one is. So I've been swimming once a week. Love, love my dude, new digs at a 50-meter pool. Uh, it's almost like swimming in open water. You can just swim for a while before you don't have to keep doing flip turns. So I like that. So um, nutrition class, we made some pho soup this week. Um, Nice combination of spices and some rice noodles with that, and that that went over really good. Study in JAMA. You know, I always talk about running, but I don't talk about biking all that much. But there was a study in uh, Journal of American Medical Association in July this month that actually uh, was a retrospective study looking at bicycling and they used people from the European Epic Trial and they had sent out questionnaires uh, about various activities and one of them were bicycling and they looked at the they looked at the diabetics in the population uh, there were 7459 people that returned questionnaires about cycling and I'm sorry that had diabetes and they looked at those people 1992 to 2000 and then again 5 years later and 5423 of them completed both of those questionnaires and had diabetes. And they, they looked to see how much time they spent bicycling. So any place from one to 300 minutes or more a week. Over that time period, there were 1,693 deaths of all cause and 975 deaths um, from cardiovascular disease. And if they looked at the cycling, there was a 10-year cumulative decrease in mortality of 1.9 to 2.1% and a 1.2 to 2.2% decrease in cardiovascular disease. So, and they also looked at, you know, so basically riding a bicycle at least 300 minutes a day, or I'm sorry, a week, was associated with decreased mortality benefit. Not a whole lot, but every little bit counts. But if they stopped riding any time during that follow-up period, their risk of dying went up to 
catch up with the people that didn't cycle. So we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, uh, in this podcast, what happens when you stop and benefits of exercise. But basically, you know, if you're exercising and you're cycling, great, keep it up. Um, It's a great form of exercise, wear a helmet. Um, But if you stop, then just like any other exercise, the benefits go away. So how does exercise affect health? Um, Last week, I referred a little bit to the the book Burn uh, by Ponser, and he noted that even if you're exercising a lot, our metabolic rate just doesn't go up that much more. So, you know, for people that try to do a lot of exercise to burn off calories that they eat, it, it just doesn't happen. We have a set point as humans that we can only burn off so many calories because some other system in our body will slow down. So the net calorie calories that we burn a day are, are fairly fixed. Um, goes up a little bit, may vary a couple hundred calories, but for the most part, you're never going to work off a pound um, or work off pounds in the long run by just exercising. But so, you know, that can be disheartening. So what, what does it do? Well, we know that exercise builds muscle and muscle's good for stability. Muscle's good for, for not falling down. Um, when we build muscle, we also increase the mitochondria or the energy consuming organelles in those muscles. Or, and preserve what the ones that we have and, and increase the functions of those that we have. So our, our energy metabolism is more efficient. We decrease inflammation. So inflammatory compounds decrease. So there was a study that looked at COVID people and people that exercise did better with regards to mortality and recovered quicker than those people who didn't exercise. And again, presumably because of decreased baseline inflammation. The other thing, um, exercise actually induces the production of nitric oxide, which dilates blood vessels. So blood vessel health, cardiovascular health is better with exercise. Also, it has been shown that there's a decrease in reproductive cancers, uh, such ovarian, prostate, uterine cancer in people that exercise because hormone levels actually will decrease with exercise. Some people think that's a bad thing. But uh, the reality is if we get older, those hormone levels can be drivers of um, abnormal cancer cells. There are multiple studies with mental health uh, showing both anxiety and depression are improved with regular exercise and are as effective as a treatment than any medication. So lots of benefits from exercise just not weight loss when it comes to just exercise alone. Now, the study with police looking at losing weight and maintaining it, uh, people that exercise maintain weight loss much better than those who don't. And part of that is the driving of a uh, driving of metabolism, again, through the production of the mitochondria and in, improved glucose and fat utilization. So you need to preserve your mitochondria, you need to preserve your muscle in in order to keep your metabolism up. So bottom line, if you like to cycle, it's a great exercise um, to improve your health. Now, it shouldn't be your only exercise because it's not a weight-bearing exercise. So for bone health, 
um, and upper body strength, obviously, you need to do some other things. So it can be your main cardiovascular activity, but you need to do some other activities for um, you know, increased impact so that you have uh, a preservation of bone health. So that can be a strength training program plus uh, cycling will take care of it or add another sport, running and cycling, <laughs> hint, triathlon, right? I had a question or somebody brought up the gastric sleeve surgery as a bariatric surgery for weight loss. And if you Google gastric sleeve, you'll get three pages of how to sign up for one and how to qualify for one and what it costs, but it doesn't go much into um, exactly how it works. So I thought I'd take a little bit of time since we've been talking about weight loss and maintaining a normal body mass index, um, what that entails and, and maybe put it in perspective um, with some other, other forms. So a gastric sleeve is a way to uh, basically decrease the size of the stomach. So basically the stomach is stapled or 75% of the stomach is removed or separated, basically sewn over um, so that there's a small capacity so people get full quicker. And it's thought that you know, you'll stop eating before your intake um, is excessive. And obviously, in people that are significantly overweight with a body mass index greater than 40, those are the people that qualify, it's thought that those people have trouble realizing um, when they're full, so signals of satiety. And we know that the more fats, fat that you have, um, there is, it can be a problem with leptin secretion. Uh, which is the hormone that's actually secreted by fat cells that say, hey, we're full, we've got enough, don't worry, brain, we're not starving to death. And that can be abnormal in some people, but it's not the majority of people. But nevertheless, if your stomach is small, theoretically you can't take in as many calories because you feel full. But the question is, you know, what kind of calories are you taking in? So... If your body's trying to maintain that big weight, which again, your set point, you know, after a while becomes what your set point is if you've been at a, at a certain weight. So your body's going to keep having those cravings. And the next thing a lot of people figure out how to do is small frequent meal or calorie dense meals. And so there can be an early weight loss followed by a weight gain. If you take in liquid calories, obviously you can absorb those relatively easy you know, high calorie foods, obviously. The other thing that happens is your gut microbiome. When the surgery is done early on, there's a change in gut microbiome. But if you, again, go back to feeding um, your gut microbiome what you did before, then chances are those cravings for those original foods are going to stay there and uh, it can be an issue. So, you know, um, fiber is encouraged, fiber foods, plants, fruits and vegetables tend to be much lower in calories, especially high fiber foods. But then people worry about, well, am I going to get enough of nutrients since my stomach is so small, I'm taking in less. And, you know, truly you have so many calories to spend and so many calories to take in a day and absorb. Um, you can only absorb so much even if your stomach is normal. And if you have your stomach size reduced, then there's less caloric absorption. So you want to make it count nutrient-wise. So it's, it's very um, 
important that when people have, and I think this is where the balls drop, when people have bariatric surgery, nobody talks to them about how to get those specific nutrients in. So it becomes, it's not just a surgery that make you eat, you can eat what you want, but you'll just eat less and you'll lose weight. That works for a little bit, but not long term. But you need to eat the fiber and the antioxidants and the phytonutrients that and, and vitamins and minerals that your body needs to thrive and achieve optimal health. And if that's not done, um, and it becomes a little bit more difficult once the stomach size is removed, um, people revert back to their, their size and gain the weight. And, you know, uh, people come and talk to me about, you know, they eat smoothies for breakfast trying, you know, to control their intake. And, you know, to me, smoothie is another word for a milkshake or a dessert. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, they start putting peanut butter and whey protein and or, or even vegan pea protein or whatever kind of, pro, you know, vegetable protein in their powders, which have sugar, um, and a bunch of other things that you really don't need. Everything is broken down and your body doesn't recognize it. So there's no real signal saying to your brain, hey, I'm full, I've had enough nutrients when you're taking those kind of shakes in. The smoothie with fruits and vegetables and um, um, mainly, mainly vegetables or you know, some, some herbs, ginger, turmeric, if you're sick, lemon rind, can be very helpful, again, if you're sick to get nutrients in and you don't have an appetite. But if you have an appetite, then chances are you're going to overeat in the presence of a smoothie. People that have GERD can get too much of a smoothie in their stomach and have reflux-type symptoms. And speaking of re reflux, um, well, we'll go into it, but people that have a gastric sleeve, um, there's a 60% incidence of not only reflux, but reflux to the point where they need proton pump inhibitors. And proton pump inhibitors, as I've spoken about before on this podcast, is associated with decreased nitric oxide production, increased risk of osteoporosis, decreased vitamin mineral uh, absorption. So you can see if somebody has part of their stomach removed or a significant part of their stomach removed, and now they have reflux because everything's so tight and they try to eat and it goes back up into their chest, their, what little stomach that they have, then it, it, um, they're, they're not going to absorb the, the, the minerals from because of the medications as well. So it can become very tricky. So I did a little digging into the long-term outcomes of gastric sleeves and um, some of the problems that might be associated with it. And there was a retrospective study in, in uh, 2018 that looked at 100 patients over eight years. And there was a 51.1% effective weight loss result in those 100 patients. But what that actually meant was that their BMI decreased about 12.1 kilograms or 26 pounds. So if you have to have a BMI of greater than 40, but you only lose 26 pounds to be associated as a, an effective study, that really doesn't get you back into a health, the healthy realm. And remember, that was, this is eight-year follow-up. Um, 16 of those patients actually required more surgery because they weren't losing weight, so that meant a full gastric bypass. Um, and I said greater than 50%, almost 60% had GERD symptoms, reflux symptoms, and 44% of those needed to have medications such as these proton pump inhibitors, which have a bunch of side effects to them.
that's not taking into account the risk of the initial surgery and seizure infections, cardiac complications, because in this population, the risk of surgery is already elevated. Um, pneumonia is another uh, complication of surgery. So the other thing that, that comes on to it is, you know, what happens to their metabolic rate? Because in Dr. Ponser's book, Burn, you know, he talks about um, metabolic rate decreasing in people that, that do starvation-type diets or very low-calorie diets or yo-yo diets over the years. So he used the example of The Biggest Loser. Um, maybe you've seen that TV show where people lost a tremendous amount of weight, over hundreds of pounds. Uh, and when they look back seven years later, most of those people had gained their weight back. And not only did they gain their weight back, but their basal metabolic rate or the amount of calories they burned at baseline um, to just maintain life had markedly decreased. So their body was trying to adjust to this new, um, this new weight. So in essence, they were even burning less calories than they did before when, when they lost their weight. So you have this hypothalamus, the part of your brain that's saying, hey, we wanna get back to this weight. Your, your metabolic rate is decreasing. And so even when these people were trying to exercise, they were still having trouble maintaining, maintaining their weight. In the gastric sleeve study patients, uh, it's, it's been shown that they also have a decrease in basal metabolic rate. They have a decrease in thyroid hormone production, which can slow things down as well. On the other hand, when people lose weight traditionally, they actually can have improvement of their thyroid functions. And there have been studies that actually have shown people being able to get off of thyroid medications once they've lost the weight. And this probably has to do with a decrease in inflammation, but the other thing that happens is um, the fat cells actually produce inflammatory cells and they produce other hormones that, that stimulate the pituitary gland and the feedback loops are actually improved. So, so after reviewing a, a lot of these studies and, and reading the burn book, I, I have, you know, I have to come to the conclusion, and maybe you'll um, say, I can't believe you're just now coming to the conclusion, but, you know, I, I changed my view of obesity as putting that into one of the lifestyle diseases that become a chronic condition um, because the body kind of fights to get back there. So once you have a chronic condition, hypertension, um, we can get people off their blood pressure medications by having them eat, eat lots of greens and decrease their salt intake and um, breathe, doing breathing exercises to decrease their sympathetic tone. So we can improve all those things as long as they continue to do all those things. They may not need their medication. The same way with diabetes. As long as they eat a low-fat high-fiber, plant-based diet without processed foods, and they maintain their exercise, then we can maintain those people without their medications in a lot of instances or very low levels of insulin in some, in some cases. But if they go back to the old way of eating, then all this comes back because there is a, there is a baseline abnormality in these chronic diseases that doesn't really repair itself by the time it shows up because these are diseases of aging uh, as we get older. Uh, they're multifactorial and it's hard to turn the clock back. Obesity is the same 
problem. There is a metabolic abnormality, there is a physiological abnormality, and it can be controlled and treated as, and, and go away as long as the plan continues, the diet and exercise continues. But it is wrong to misrepresent the fact that it is a chronic condition at that point. And that you can turn back the clock and then just resume life the way it was. So maybe that's a depressing thing to hear, both with for diabetes, hypertension, obesity, and even autoimmune diseases perhaps, that we can make them go away as long as you continue to follow the plan. But reverting back to the old ways will result in the process coming back, and as we saw in The Biggest Loser, it may come back worse than it was. So if there's one huge takeaway message today, you know, if you don't have these lifestyle diseases, now's the time to, you know, change your nutrition, change your exercise, focus on what you can do to put money in the bank, so to speak, to prevent these chronic illnesses from happening. If you have a family history of cardiovascular disease, if you're looking across the table at your family, your parents, your brothers and sisters, and they have chronic lifestyle diseases, there is a big chance that you too will develop these lifestyle diseases. So uh, it's better to try to nip things in a bud in the bud before it, it gets ahead. And that's why I think it's so so sad for young children um, and it's such a difficult situation for for young people because there is so much reward around food there's so much reward about going to fast food places it's everywhere um, we don't have a feedback loop for fast foods and processed foods our brain don't do don't, they don't our brains don't understand how to deal with it um, it's a quick fix. It makes people happy. Um, you know, you get a rise in dopamine and serotonin. It's a way to reward kids. You know, I, I, I see grandparents every day that come in and they only have their grandkids for a week or two in the summer or they only see them once in a while. They don't want to be the bad cop. They don't want to fight with their kids over how their, uh, their children are feeding their, their grandkids. So they don't, you know, they just basically comply and and uh, don't want to cause problems and you know continue to be part of the problem and it is a very very difficult situation and uh, you know I, I wish again that the healthcare system would be more honest and direct with people and children because I believe they understand that if this gets out of hand at this age um, it becomes a lifestyle disease for life and I think obesity is probably worse for kids because of the, all the other stigmata that go along with it, and it comes on earlier, and it leads to the other lifestyle disease. In Herman Ponser's book, they ha he has a table looking at um, how many calories women and men burn um, across the board. So if you look at a 120-pound woman, She's going to burn between 1,600 and 2,800 calories a day. And it seems like that's a one. So that would be the 10th percentile and the 90th percentile um, for daily energy expenditure. So depending where you fall on that curve um, depends on your intake.
150 pounds, 1,800 to 3,000 calories. 240 pounds of lean mass, 2,200 to 3,500 calories. So... The good news is even if you're a very slow metabolizer, even if you burn energy very slowly and your daily energy expenditure is low, meaning that 120 pounds, 1,600, 150, 1,800, 240 pounds, 2,200 calories a day, that's the low, that's the low end of the curve for a female. A little bit of exercise along with that People can maintain that weight if they're not eating a bunch of uh, calorie-dense, high-processed foods. In the male, uh, basically I did 150, 180, and 240. So 150-pound male, 10% 10 percentile, 2,000 calories a day to maintain 150 pounds. And the 90th percentile, 3,500 calories. So there's a a pretty big variation, 2,200 to 3,800 calories. A 240-pound man, 2,500 to 4,000 calories, depending on, again, this daily energy expenditure, how much people do along with their basal metabolic rate. So it, you know, pretty top, it pretty much tops out. If you're a 180-pound male, no matter what you do, you're not going to burn much more than 3,800 calories. So, you know, Olympic athlete, uh, maybe a little bit more. But for the most part, your other metabolic um, resources will cons- will conserve so that your daily energy expenditure stays somewhere there. So the good news is, um, again, if you don't eat processed foods, you eat whole foods, plant-based, you're getting your nutrients in, um, and, and you're, you're going to be within your energy expenditure. Exercise to maintain mitochondria and muscle mass, and, and you're good to go. If you're overweight and you're trying to get your weight down, it is better to go slowly, realizing that your metabolic set point is going to be fighting you a little bit. But it's still, if you drop down from the 150 to 120, that caloric restriction requirement is still still doable on a whole food plant-based diet. And the reason why I think, um, you know, and again, Dr. Ponzer was not plant-based and he didn't really make much in the way of dietary suggestions other than, you know, people have so many calories to spend each day and however you spend them is however you spend them. But, I, I, you know, I beg to differ just like exercise is important in maintaining weight, what you put in your body is, is important as far as the other lifestyle diseases. So, there's weight and then there's optimal health and wellness. You can be skinny and be very unhealthy. You can be skinny and have cancer. You can be skinny and have hypertension. You can be skinny and have diabetes even. You, you get the point. So what you eat is very important as, as opposed to um, just your, your, besides just your caloric expenditure. By the same token, if you're an individual that has trouble realizing that you're full, Increasing the fiber content of the diet, um, making that fiber associated with protein, beans, whole, in, you know, and whole grains, also helps. So you can you can eat more bulky, and you can eat more quantities of food weight wise because it's lower calorically dense food being plant based. So I do believe that that helps people to maintain their weight as well. Plus, when you're getting the nutrient density 
then your body's really not looking for things that some of those cravings will start to go away over time. But it doesn't happen right away because, you know, if you're, if you're eating a fast food diet, your body's getting a lot of good feedback, dopamine, serotonin, you know, a lot of happy hormones as far as, oh, this is great, you know, I'm, 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 I'm packing on the pounds, I'm going to live forever, because um, your body wants that to be able to live, it doesn't want to starve. Um, and those dopamine receptors don't trigger with an apple versus a Twinkie, so to speak, near as much. But as you change to a plant-based diet, over time, then you become much happier and much more content with those foods rather than the fast, highly processed, dopamine-surging, you know, sweets and treats. On the other hand, when you go back, just like everything else, all those receptors start to, you know, they're just waiting to be hit again by these super sweet, high sugary things. So, I, you know, the people that try to toggle back and forth, and I think that's where it's a misnomer, and that's why, you know, um, traditional weight programs don't, weight loss programs don't work because they're saying you can eat what you want and you just eat smaller portions and it'll be okay. But your brain wants more and more of those things that are very sugar, fat, dense. Um, and, and so you, you never get to reset your triggers, so to speak. You never get to reset those cravings for something that's, that's more modest. You know, the Hadza tribe in Africa didn't, they had, they ate honey um, and they had a 10% body fat. But they never had exposure to highly processed foods that were chemically laden uh, with other things that would cause their set points to be confused. And even with regard to the honey, you know, that required a tremendous amount of effort climbing trees to knock down the hive, to get honey to share with other people. So it, it was a part of their calories that helped sustain them. But Never was there a point where they had the ability to overconsume those calories because it just wasn't available. There is a synthetic leptin that's given to people that have a genetic deficiency in leptin that will cause them to be able to be satisfied and take in less calories. But that affects a small uh, portion of the population. And there is, um, and, and even that doesn't fix the problem. Uh, it helps, but it doesn't fix, there's, there's more to it than that. We know that dopamine receptors go down when people are obese, so they need more and more food to satisfy them as well. And, you know, I, I think it comes back down to you can't fool Mother Nature. So we look for quick fixes, cut, you know, cut part of our stomach out, do a gastric bypass, because we're hopeless and, um, you know, we take medications to try to fix, you know, if there's a, we thinking that there potentially is a chemical imbalance, but mother nature just, you know, we make more acid in the case of proton pump receptors. We make, we downregulate dopamine receptors in the cases of uh, obesity and depression. So our bodies quickly figure out that these things aren't real and, and they, they work around the problem. Our receptors are basically reacting to the environment that we that we provide them, and you know, as humans, we always want too much of or more of a good thing, and it almost always ends up causing us harm or grief. And we're all looking for balance, and and that's the most difficult thing in everybody's life for the most part is finding that balance between exercise and 
um, you know, what we eat and, and family and work. And so balance is, is something that we have to deal with. And I, and I think that because, you know, he talks about we live in an urban zoo, basically. So we live in environments that the temperature is controlled. Um, our daily energy expenditure for what we have to find food is very much controlled. We can sit in our car and spend no energy at all to, to get a big calorie dense meal. Um, we don't do well with extreme heat, extreme cold, uh, extreme weathers of any kind, uh, extreme stresses, um, or we're not exposed to it very much uh, for the most part. And I think that's in some respects why people turn to uh, endurance sports and hiking and um, doing things that get them back into nature because it helps them to reconnect with basics. Um, it gets in touch with basic survival mechanisms. It gets us in touch with our heart rate, our breathing, temperature control, um, pain, uh, pain management, and things can slow down a little bit so that we can actually monitor our bodies. Um, I think life is so fast-paced anymore, we don't have time to actually step back and see what's really causing the problem. There's a tremendous amount of money to be made in fast foods. There's a tremendous amount of money to be made in the treatment of overweight individuals. There's a tremendous amount of money to be made with lifestyle diseases. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of money to be lost if some of these things were regulated. And it comes down to we have to make our own choices. If you vote with your doll, if you vote with your, your, your pocketbook and you don't participate in restaurants that are high calorie, high fat, high salt, high oil foods, if you don't buy those things in the grocery store and you stay in the produce aisle, then pretty soon, you know, Walmart knows exactly what you buy. All these stores know exactly what you buy. Amazon, every, you know, just be, with the pandemic and people ordering online, everybody knows what you buy uh, and they know what sells. And so the more junk food that's sold, the more junk food that's going to be made. And at some point, somebody has to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to be a cog in this will and participate in this. And I'm going to stand up for um, what I believe in. And it comes the education comes from starting at home with, with your children, what's right, bringing them into the kitchen, showing them how to cook, not letting them be the directors of the menu, um, presenting good food and, that's the, and educating them on that's the way it is. And when we go out, this is, this is how we do it. Um, back to Seth Godin and people like us do things like this. And your family is part of your tribe and your kids are part of your tribe. And so if your tribe does things like this, then that will be a part of them. And especially if you make it very important, a important distinction of your tribe, of your family, that we eat like this. And this is our decision to make. Not to throw on anybody else and not to dictate to anybody else, but this is our decision that we're going to make. A lot of people are on autopilot. You can eat very bad things for a long time until it gradually catches up. And then we, can, we have to panic. 
we probably all could sit in the cockpit of a plane when everything was right and it was on autopilot and everything be, would be okay. But if it came time to land or there was a bump or change in something, um, obviously if we weren't a pilot and we weren't trained, we wouldn't know how to handle it. Anybody can do something when it's easy. It's when trouble arises that we have difficulty. And that is really where we are when the lifestyle diseases start to happen. Um, how do we get things? How do we get things settled out? How do we get balance back? On average, dietary surveys are thirty percent off on what people eat or overate or didn't eat, and so it makes it very difficult because people are, are are not paying attention to to what they're eating. They're grabbing and they're not being mindful. So, one of the things that you can do is to start being more mindful of of your choices and what you eat. We actually came up with a calendar, uh, a menu calendar that we have a big magnet that'll go on, on the refrigerator. We sell it on our website that you can plan. You can, you know, you can plan with your family, your, your meals for the week, your, you know, what, what in your shopping list right there beside it. So, you know, and you can keep it down to a, a certain level. So, you, you know, you're, you're not over shopping, you're not under shopping. You can go shopping once a week. You can stay within your budget. Um, and, and you can and you can even have your your family help you to plan it. You know, people are more likely to eat something if they have this. You know, if they have choices, and they get to pick. Just saying, what would you like for dinner is not a good answer, or I'm sorry, is not a good question. It, just like saying to the waitress, "Can you make me something vegan?" If they don't understand or make me something plant based, if they don't understand the concept, and that's not what they do chances are you're going to get the wrong answer. So when it comes to your kids and menus, give them choices, but keep them limited. We have this, this, and this vegetable. Which one would you like? We're going to have this bean. We're going to pick a bean. Which one would you like today? Which grain would you like? You know, you have these two choices. Um, Perhaps, you know, what day, these are the menus of the week, which day would you like to have these particular menus, but it's not something different. And, um, you know, I, I think that goes a long way that if you plan, you have a better chance at being mindful at what you eat. Um, I talked to somebody about traveling, you know, uh, I use a Happy Cow app when I travel so we, so we know where restaurants are along the way, you can pull up their menus. So you don't go into a restaurant hungry and you find out that this is, you know, they don't have what you, you really need and you end up eating something that you wouldn't have. Make a pack with your travel partners. You know, we're going to do this. This is how we're going to do lunch. This is how we're going to plan. We're going to stop at a Whole Foods or a Sprouts or a, you know, a certain grocery store that we know along the way that we planned out that we can get certain foods that, you know, to help us along the way. When I was small and we traveled... You know, it was back in the day before fast food, but we took a cooler and we didn't eat in the car. We stopped at a rest stop and my mom would get the, we would get the cooler out, put the tablecloth on the picnic table, set everything up, have lunch, clean up, put it all back, get back in the car and drive. You got, you had a chance to get out, stretch your legs. You took time to, you know, make whatever you were going to eat right then and there, get it out, put it back. It was wholesome food. And it was controlled. It wasn't a continuous, 
um, you know, putting in food in just to keep kids quiet or, you know, mindless eating as, as we're driving. And the way fast food is set up today, you know, you can go through a drive-in window and then you can stop and get a coffee, then you can stop and do, you know, on and on and on. So you lose control pretty quickly. So perhaps, you know, uh, the theme of today is to take, take over the wheel, um, take, your, take your body off of autopilot and take back control and plan your course and stick to it, but don't try to do any radical changes because it's not going to really work. Um, so slow and steady wins the race. Being okay with change and it's a little bit uncomfortable, knowing full well that your choices are going to make you healthier in the end. So I would encourage you to try some of those things. If you'd like some help from us, go on over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y.com, and you can find out how you can join our practice. Um, you can join online. You can become a full member. We have a giant website with members-only content, um, with recipes, nutrition plans, exercise, and we like to work with people to help them achieve optimum, optimal health and wellness uh, and their exercise goals. So we'd love to help you. Um, I don't think there's one plan that, that fits all. We all have our own individual struggles, but we like to work with people and help them identify what their struggles are and help them to make the changes and help them to help their family make changes. Um, so thank you very much for listening. Appreciate your time. See you next week. I have a great interview next week with Jill Bolte-Taylor. Uh, if you haven't um, seen her TED Talk, go on and uh, onto YouTube or the TED Talk and put Jill, Jill Bolte-Taylor in and listen to that. It's going to be phenomenal how she came back from a um, life-threatening cerebral uh, uh, hemorrhage and um, how she's going to help you. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about um, how she can help you choose more wisely as well to have... Um, a happy, healthier life. So thanks again for listening. See you next week.